Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land In Conversation. My name is Matt Tiamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. If you want to hear about something or from someone on this podcast, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at BWWMatt. Today, I'm in conversation with Brett Ciancia, the man behind one of the best and fastest rising preseason football magazines, Pick 6 Previews. We've had Brett on the show before, and this is actually the second time that I've talked to him for a 2020 preseason episode, which we'll explain when we get into our discussion. But in our conversation, we discuss how the unusual offseason has impacted the season thus far, whether or not he is sticking with his original playoff prediction, which did include Ohio State, how he thinks the Buckeyes can get over the Clemson hurdle should they meet in the playoffs again, and much, much more. So with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Brett Ciancia. All right, Brett, this is kind of take two for us because we originally spoke back in July as what would have been a season preview. But then before we the podcast came out, the Big Ten canceled the season and then uh, reversed course. So that conversation never aired. So first off, thank you for doing this a second time. And I apologize for the Big Ten screwing up our original plans. No, yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me back on. And you don't need to apologize. I think I need to be thanking you uh, in terms of Ohio State and Nebraska and Iowa, really the three <laughs> that spearheaded this movement. Um, don't think that I haven't forgotten that in college football. I don't think has forgotten that. So uh, kudos to, to Ohio state and, and Nebraska for standing up, you know, for what they believed in and um, you know, everyone coming together as a, a fan base, as a coaching staff, as players, as admins, and uh, even some state senators got involved. So, you know what? Well, it, it's game week. I never thought we'd be saying it, but it's Big Ten game week, and uh, I'm, I'm real pumped. Yeah, we've had some conversations with uh, the Nebraska folks over the last few weeks or last month about how there's a new kind of bromance between the two schools and the fan bases uh, because of their shared fight with this. You know, I'm still a little nervous about the whole thing um, with how many positive tests we're seeing in other parts of the country. But so far, knock on wood, it seems like everything's been handled about as well as you possibly can. So it gives us a little bit of hope that we'll be able to get a full football season in uh, over the rest of the uh, the calendar year. So let's get into the actual football side of this weird season, because I want to start with a question that's kind of part eye test from your perspective, but also I know your game grader system analyzes every game. So I want to know, have you noticed anything substantively different in the play thus far from previous seasons, whether that can be attributed to maybe the lack of a spring camp or like the weird fall and summer schedules or maybe not having non-conference games to start? Have you noticed any differences in the play that's happened in the first, what is it, seven weeks of college football? Yeah, it's a good question, Matt. And, um, you know, for the listeners out there, my preseason book, Pick 6 Previews, uh, it's a nice balance between the numbers, my, my game grader, like Matt mentioned, the advanced stats. It's really a balance between the numbers, but then also the film, the, you know, the actual football being played. I think the balance is important to have. Uh, you see some of these analytics guys that live too much in the numbers, but I'm putting in hundreds of hours of film study and talks with, you know, college coaches and coordinators. So that said, I have two answers to your question, one being numbers, one on the field. So on the field, uh, you see a lot of these teams with new coordinators or with new coaches or young quarterbacks. They all came out pretty flat in those first couple of games, uh, performing well underneath the, uh, you know, the, the Vegas spreads. And that's kind of the public perception, but uh, with, with wins and losses as well, coming out a little bit flat. And that's, that's to be expected because normally you're using that winter conditioning, that spring ball, uh, that fall camp to really be installing. Uh, new schemes and getting to know your rosters and vice versa. So 
without that learning time, you saw some of them come out pretty flat uh, in aggregate. Of course, there are some outliers like the Mike Leach opener, but uh, overall, that was a trend. Um, and then in terms of the numbers, uh, something that's kind of uh, messing up some of my numbers this year is um, I do these uh, you know, grades on each side of the ball, coordinator grades, offensive grades, defensive grades. Uh, and what I do there is I adjust for opponent um, and adjust for you know, kind of conference strength is one bit in there. But when you take out the entire non-conference slate, you know, those three or four games are pretty valuable across 10 to 14 teams to really get a sense of how the conferences stack up against each other. Um, even if it is just a slight adjustment to the formula. So it's popping out some weird results here. You know, you're looking at the SEC, uh, for example, where, oh, they've allowed the most yards. Well, they've also gained the most yards because it's the same exact, uh, the same <laughs> opponent pool, you know? So it's, it's very bizarre in that sense. So maybe we need a full, you know, a full 10 game season and the bowl games to kind of shake some about some, some out of my numbers. But yeah, it's, it's been fun so far. And before we started recording, I just told Matt that, uh, you know, I, I got to have the Big Ten back. I need that that loaded noon slate. You know, that's just Big Ten has really owned that over the years. Uh, right when college game day, right when Lee Corsa puts on that mascot head, you go right into like an you know an Iowa Purdue kickoff, and you, you know the you know the Saturdays lined up. So yeah, um, not to mention my two AMs with the Pac-12, but we'll get to that in, uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, I can't wait for the for the Mountain West and the Pac-12 games to uh, give us something to kind of guide us into the night because uh, having games that just end at 1030 or 11, that's not enough. It's just not enough for college football fans. But um, so has there been any teams that have either substantially overperformed based off of what you would have expected or underperformed based off what you were you would have uh, expected going into the season, perhaps because of all of the weirdness going on with this specific season? Yeah, so one team that's really bucked the trends that I just talked about, the new coordinator, the new coaches, uh, and the new quarterback trends, uh, is Arkansas. And this is a program that's it. been brutal the last three years. They, uh, Yeah, their defense statistically was the worst in Power 5 over the last three seasons. Not just the SEC, but all of Power 5, worse than Kansas. Um, so for Barry Odom to come in here as a new defensive coordinator and turn them around and, and post some W's, you know, some big wins too, and should have had the Auburn win. They really should, if not for a botched uh, oh, uh, fight call there. Horrible. Yeah, you could argue should be three and one yeah. uh, with the only loss to Georgia. So, and then uh, uh, to put it into context, I was down in Fayetteville this time last year to see that Auburn Arkansas game, and it was fifty-five to ten. Uh, Auburn was doing trick plays and messing around with Arkansas. Uh, so to see them really go toe to toe and should have beaten them, it's, it's crazy the one year turnaround. So that's a team way above expectation. You know, a team below expectation would probably be Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I actually I'm one of the few that didn't have them in the playoff anyway. But even they've they've even sold my expectations short too. I had them seventh, which was the lowest out of all the preseason mags. Um, but still, two losses is pretty crazy to see this early on. First time back to back regular season losses for them since '99. Yeah. So uh, I'd say that they're underperforming everyone's expectations. Yeah. As the uh, the grandson of two Arkansas alums, I love seeing the uh, the Hogs uh, finally get their uh, get get a win in the SEC. So that's been a nice uh, surprise for them. But you mentioned your book, and obviously things have changed substantially from what you thought the regular season would look like when you put this book together to how it is now. 
your final four when you put the book out was Clemson, Ohio State, Florida, and Oregon. When the schedules all changed and some of the non-conference games were eliminated, um, even conference game conference schedules were juggled. Did you make any adjustments to your predictions, or did you stick with those four as your playoff field before the season started? Yeah. So some background here. Um, you know, I hunkered down from December till June, writing this thing and researching and film study the whole bit. Uh, and I put out that playoff bracket and the book in mid-June. And that was before any kind of cancellations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the four that Matt mentioned there. Uh, so in the interim, since then, you had, yeah, conferences going not conference only, uh, shortened seasons. You had a couple seasons canceled with the Big Ten and Pac-12. So right. I was actually considering putting out a revision right when the Big Ten had announced their new schedule. Um, and right before I started to really dig into the numbers, uh, you know, three or I mean, like 72 hours go by and they're canceling the season straight off. So uh, at that point, you're wondering, are the other leagues going to follow? And, uh, you know, it just really fell out of it. It didn't become you know valuable to do that. Um, so I, I kept with the same bracket. I still believe in Clemson and Ohio State really are, are the two most complete teams in the country. Um, you can argue that 1A, 1B. And in fact, I believe that Ohio State should have won that game last year. Uh, I'm not just saying that because I'm on an Ohio State <laughs> podcast. I said that on, on shows across the country. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, because usually you see a 50-50 call go, you know, you have some 50-50 calls in a game, but it's rare to see it go 5-0 one way. And that, there were some outrageous yeah. calls there. Uh, not just, you know, random holding plays, but um, game-deciding moments. Yeah. So Preaching to the choir, Brett. Preaching to the choir. Oh, for sure. So I, I think those two are locks. I still like them. Uh, so Florida was kind of a, you know, that was an outlier pick. Nobody really else had them. Uh, I really thought their offense would make a huge leap, which it did. But I got to admit, I didn't see the defense falling off. That has been a staple yeah. for Florida for over a decade in terms of signing day, in terms of defensive stats on the field, and then in terms of NFL output. So uh, that really is a shocker to me. And, and they already have a loss tagged on them. Yeah, to be fair, though, because of the way this schedule works out, like if they beat Georgia and then beat, I'm assuming, Alabama in the SEC championship game, like they still could make the playoff because it seems like everybody is beating each other up. I can't imagine a big 12 team making it. I don't see a second ACC or big 10 team making it like Florida still, I think for the most part, probably controls its own destiny. Although with the defense Mm -hmm. not being as good as it has been in the past, it it does make it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And you bring up the scheduling and, uh, and I'm not here to make an excuse for my playoff pick, but part of the logic back (laughs) in June was that they did have a very favorable SEC schedule this year. They, um, in the cross division, they pulled LSU, their, their annual game. But I knew this is going to be a pretty young and transition type LSU team in the swamp. So I actually forecasted that to be a win. I figured, yeah, their only test is Georgia. Uh, they might even sneak in as a one loss SEC runner up. So um, but after they announced their 10 game slate moving up from eight to 10, A&M was added to Florida's schedule. So yeah. this was actually uh, and that's their loss. So I know this is not an excuse time, but I'm saying that game was added uh, after the June release. I'll allow it. I'll, I'll I'll allow the excuse. You're fine. You're fine. Now, now to your point, though, I don't know if this defense is going to hold up. I mean, they might get a, a couple losses tagged on them, and uh, and even a non-football issue. And I try and stray away from these, but they have had a massive breakout of cases down there. This has just happened yeah. this week, and um, their head coach I think is out, and 23 players. So. Who knows what Florida's future looks like on and off the field. So that brings us to Oregon. How are you feeling about a Pac-12 team with, a cons- I mean, almost half the number of games that like the ACC is going to play? What do you think that the chances of a Pac-12 team making it even undefeated when they're going to have to go up against teams with 
so many more games, so many more data points for the committee to consider. Do you think that it's likely that a Pac-12 team would have a shot if they don't completely just blow everybody else out of the water? Yeah, so right when the the Pac-12 announced that they were going to a seven-game schedule, you saw a lot of national Twitter guys go out there, race right to Twitter, and and put out, there's no chance, there's no chance for a Pac-12 team, 0% chance. You know what? I think there's a chance because if Hmm. 150 years of college football has taught us one thing, the constant over decades and decades of football is that undefeated really holds that that undefeated card really yeah. holds true. And it, and it puts you in the argument, um, especially from power five champions. So um, if Oregon were to go seven and oh, or eight, no, whatever it ends up being uh, undefeated. And a lot of those games are blowouts and they're looking solid. And, you know, as long as there aren't a, a handful of, you know, field goal or one point wins that they're really right. soundly beating their opponents and they run through the pac 12 and sitting there eight. No, I think they're in the playoff. Um, and I'm even strengthened by that, by by how the Big 12 has performed, because you see their two national powers, Oklahoma and Texas, both with two losses here uh, in mid-October. And the only remaining remaining undefeated team out there is Oklahoma State, who is without their star quarterback. So I don't really see the Big 12 getting a team in there. And that would then open up a p- possibility for the Pac-12. So yeah, uh, the door is open. And um, I think an undefeated Power 5 champ, even if it is seven games or eight games, and you know what, for what it's worth, and I always, I'm an optimist. I, you know, people talk about, oh, there's one or two games canceled this week. It's so terrible. But, you know, 90% have been played. Uh, but to that point, I wonder if some of these conferences might miss a game or two. So when we're talking yeah. SEC has 10 games and uh, ACC has 10 games, we'll see how it shakes out. Maybe they finish with nine or eight or seven. So, um, you know, I think in Oregon is very alive right now. We'll see how they turn out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more specifically about Ohio State. This is a team that, as always, had a ton of guys head to the NFL, but are bringing back a Heisman finalist quarterback. And as we've seen across college football over the last decade, it's really difficult to win a national title without a star quarterback. And Justin Fields is obviously one of the handful of biggest star quarterbacks in the country. How do you see this offense being able to account for departures like J.K. Dobbins, uh, Austin Mack, K.J. Hill, Benjamin Victor, and then two offensive linemen who are all conference stars as well. How do you see them kind of balancing those losses with a bunch of new players, either from transfers with Trey Sermon or a bunch of young wide receivers and running backs especially? How do you see them being able to uh, kind of make up for the major losses that they had from the 2019 season? Yeah, so a lot there. I think first at running back. So, you know, it's, it's hard to find any holes on a roster like Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson. Uh, I thought I might have identified one with running back, but then again, the rich get richer. And right as I was considering that, they pulled in Trey Sermon, who was a 2,000-yard uh, career back at Oklahoma. You know, he started a lot of games, played in that playoff back against Georgia, a patient runner, good vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can juke and he can truck defenders. So I think they've shored up that spot, and there's a lot of blue chippers behind him, young guys. Um, so I think running back will be fine. So you talked offensive line. Yeah, you lose a couple starters. But also you have some All-American candidates up there, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Monford. I mean, I, I still think the offensive line will be strong and, and really will be a Joe Moore Award finalist again uh, for the, the best offensive line unit overall. You mentioned the only Heisman candidate coming back. Um, you know, he was incredible last year. Um, I think it was just one pick in the regular season. So, yeah, I'm a yeah. huge Justin Fields fan in that sense. Um, and then you look at – one potential youth area could be wide receiver, but I had the chance to talk with Brian Hardline, the receiver coach. Um, and he just, you, you rattle through some of these names and I, I recognize some of these names from 
the recruiting circles just to, from signing day hype. And these are all five-star kids. It's incredible. I think it was something like eight top 100 receivers. Yeah. And that's top 100 overall prospects. I'm not talking top 100 only receivers. So yeah. these are almost like five stars and near five stars. Just absolutely loaded. So and my quick uh, note on recruiting rankings, yeah, can they miss here and there? Sure. Uh, but over the over the course of a 25 person class, and over the you know stacking five classes, dragging 85 scholarship athletes, they're more right than wrong. And the, and Ohio State has proven that they're not one of those red flag programs like a Texas or a USC where you see the signing day hype and it's not converted to talent. Ohio State obviously has converted that and lived up to their five star billing at every position, but especially wide receiver. So uh, complete offense. Really love Ryan Day as a, as a you know as a offensive coordinator, coach, and head coach, um, and uh, I think it'll be one of the top offenses in the country. So moving over to defense, you have uh, Sean Wade who opted out and then returned. You have him as a uh, first team All American on defense. Then you have uh, Zach Harrison as a third teamer over at uh, defensive end. Those two guys are known. Zach Harrison, people are hoping, will reach the potential that his recruiting ranking had uh, a season ago. But the defensive line, especially, has been decimated not only by attrition going to the NFL, but also a number of injuries. There's been a lot of changes on the secondary uh, side of things, especially when. Ryan Day brought back a defensive coach, Kerry Combs, who had been at Ohio State under Urban Meyer for a long time, left to go to the NFL with Mike Vrabel and is now back. Despite all of the issues and learning and changes that Ohio State's defense might have, is there anything specifically on this team that any of the Big Ten offenses that they're going to have to face, whether that's Penn State or Michigan or even Indiana in the East, uh, that they're going to have to especially look out for and prepare for that could be a potential weak spot for the Buckeyes? Well, Matt, uh, you know, you know, from reading my book each year that I'm, I'm definitely a numbers guy and a trends guy and a couple of trends that really favor Ohio state. Um, first with the defensive line question, uh, you know, yeah, I like Zach Harrison. I think he's the next star defensive end. Uh, he had a freshman stat line pretty close to Young's freshman season, actually. And you get Jonathan <laughs> Cooper back. who was a former all big tenor um, after an injury, but, uh, so, so looking at defensive line, most sacks, not just last year, they led the country, but they've led the country since 2013 over that whole span. Oh, wow. So they're going to get their, yeah, they're going to get their sacks. You know, that's a program. And look at that line. You had Chase Young, you had two Bosa brothers on there. Uh, so yeah, no programs had more sacks since 2013. I think that'll, you know, they'll be fine there. They'll reload. Uh, and those two names I mentioned secondary wise. Yeah. This is, you know, you talk about wide receiver, you DBU. I put out those uh, intervals for the last 10 years, last 20 years. Ohio State's far and away uh, DBU, and that's not even a comparison in terms of draft picks. Um, and a big part of that was Kerry Coombs. You mentioned him. Um, you know, He was here for six seasons, 2012 to 2017. Every single starter at corner at Ohio State under him has, has made it to the NFL. So those are two of the, the, the crazier trends I've found in my research covering all 66 teams, but especially with Ohio State uh, out there. So – uh, I will take the safe bet and say that they're fine at, at, at DB and at D-line. <laughs> I think it's a matter of, um, you know, it's a very veteran linebacker core. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to see them take another step forward, too. I don't want to call it a weakness because, really, we're, we're comparing some great position units. It would be a strength at any other program in the Big Ten. Um, but that's a, that's a group that, in their final season together, a lot of veterans there. 
uh, take a step forward and really become the leaders uh, of, the, of the defense. Yeah, the, the linebacking core has been a point of contention for a lot of Buckeye fans for the past three years or so, since 2018, when Bill Davis kind of blew that whole unit up and, and screwed that up. But in 2019, it was really odd. People kind of assumed that Tough Borland and Pete Werner weren't really up to the task, and Pete Werner turned in an unbelievable season last year. Uh, and, and Tough Borland held his own and he started at middle linebacker, even though he didn't actually end up getting the majority of the snaps there. So it'll be interesting now that uh, Pete Werner's moved to the other side. We're probably going to get, uh, you know, a few other guys getting some more opportunities. It'll be interesting to see, but I'm, I'm very confident on the offensive side, a little less so uh, on the defense, but uh, I want to wrap up the on field discussion here with you have, we talked about the final four, you talked about the Ohio State-Clemson game, and I'm not going to necessarily put you on the spot to say if Ohio State and Clemson play, who's going to win. But I want to ask you what you think Ohio State needs to do if they end up meeting Clemson in the playoffs, whether that's the semifinals or the finals again for the second straight year. Um, yeah, so if they are to pair up again, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I think this the same approach. You got to jump out to a lead, but this time it's got to be touchdowns, not field goals down the red zone. That's such a small thing if I'm going to answer it, but really uh, – that game should have been a bigger lead at half um, and then just being able to finish it off. But I think getting Trevor Lawrence behind uh, because think of Clemson really, and it's not their own fault, but they're always up by 28 points in the first half. And I don't think that Trevor Lawrence faces that many critical moments and pressure situations. And I'm sure he's, you know, he's still the, you know, the top NFL draft prospect. I'm not saying that I'm saying as a team, they're not as uh, you know, uh, battle tested in late game situations. And again, that's more so a compliment to them because of blowing everyone out. But uh, you, you want to get them down or in some, you know, get, get some adversity and see if you can pounce on them. And which Ohio state literally did that last year, just not enough points uh, early on. So, and couldn't finish it off. But um, I think, yeah, got to get past uh, pass rush pressure on Lawrence, um, try and rattle him. It's happened only once really LSU got to him pretty good last year in the national title game. They roughed him up at the end of the first half and, um, you know, laid it on all games. So, uh, let's just say, I'll, it, I will say it is a bizarre season because on half the shows I'm going on, it's a hey, talk about mid season reports, uh, week seven here or the, and then the other <laughs> half are preseason still. So yeah, it's very I, I can't even compare that. I, I just, I want to see Ohio state live. Uh, I've seen Clemson five or six times this year already, so it's uh, it's a weird comparison, but I can't wait to get you guys back out there. Yeah, and it's going to be – I think it's going to be strange when it comes to the playoff committee and the postseason awards. Like Trevor Lawrence has had such a huge early season that I think everyone just kind of assumes he is – the Heisman Trophy, not only front runner, but like the winner, and he very well might be. He's played great so far this season, but I do wonder if the fact that Ohio State's season is so backloaded that Justin Fields might have the advantage of being, you know, the most recent thing in voters' minds uh, because they will have seen him play Michigan and, you know, the Big Ten championship game and stuff uh, more recently while the ACC has to wait a little bit. So I think that's all weird, fun, interesting, convoluted stuff that we have to talk about this season that normally, you know, everything's equal. But before I let you go, I, your book, you're you're not selling the book anymore, obviously, since for some, like you said, some teams are halfway through the season, but you have started this new helmet project. So tell me what exactly that is, because that's the helmets have always been a kind of a part of your brand. You do the whole like, uh, you know, the matchups with the helmets every week. And just recently in the past month or so, you've started this helmet project. So tell me what that is exactly. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's uh, pretty exciting. So 
So back in 2012, when I launched Pick 6 Previews, every single fall Saturday in the fall, uh, I put up my uh, 20 matchups of the week, my winners on the left side using my, you know, these mini helmets. You, you've probably seen my Twitter. I, I do it every Saturday, the helmet board. And pretty much every Saturday since then, I've gotten asked in the DMs or in tweets, hey, where do you get these? How did you get these? Um, and the story is that I've been making them custom for years. Um, I have oh, wow. every FBS team. I have every FCS team. Uh, I make bulk sets for local high schools to give out at their, uh, you know, their end of season award banquets. Uh, it's been a, a massive project I've had going for years. But, you know, finally, Matt, I, I realized, hey, I've gotten DMs for years about this. Let's start, you know, let's start selling them. Let's see if people are interested. And uh, it's taken off like crazy. Um, the things that are really selling well are these throwback sets. So Florida was the first one I created where I did every helmet design from Florida, uh, the Gators, since 1965. And uh, the sets are going pretty well. Um, and just like we talked before the show, my Ohio State set is ready to launch. Um, it's six helmets. Uh, so you have your normal one with all the, st- all the stickers on it. You have that 2012 to 2014 uh, with the green stickers and that black face mask. Uh, think of the, Bra- the Braxton Miller era. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the black helmet with the red decals, some of those JT Barrett games. Uh, I have a 1970s Ohio State with the bigger. Back then they had these bigger Buckeye leaves on there like Archie Griffin. Uh, I have a red 1960s and then a uh, white 1950s that was also worn by Terrell Pryor in 2009. So as you can tell, it's very detail-oriented. It's very exact. Um, and I think people appreciate that. So uh, if you're interested in hearing more about it, it's at Pick 6 Previews on Twitter or Brett at Pick6Previews.com. You can email me too. And, uh, yeah, that'll be released in the next couple of days. Once this podcast hits, it'll be it'll be live for Ohio State. And I think you're going to send me a picture of all of them because I've seen some of them, but you're when you have them already, you're going to send me a picture, and we'll put it out on uh, our land grant Twitter uh, account as well, as if people want to see the pictures. Oh, for sure. Thank you. And yeah, high schools, any, any team you could think of, I've got them. And uh, these are those two inch pocket style helmets. So uh, they're nice if you get a bunch to display them up there. So yeah, I appreciate you talking about that. I'm, I'm super excited. It launched it a few weeks ago and it's been great. And uh, thanks for having me on. It just feels great to be talking big 10 again. And uh, my Saturdays will finally <laughs> feel like uh, like a fall Saturday having a, you know, all, all you guys back. Oh, for sure. Um, so yeah, thanks Matt for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. And, uh, real quick, I'll get you out on this, uh, this last question. Do you have any thoughts about the Ohio state Nebraska game coming up this weekend? Uh, it, Ohio state has had kind of an interesting last few years against the corn Huskers where 2018, it was super close, uh, nerve wracking game for Buckeye fans last year. It was a blowout. Do you have any thoughts about what to expect from Adrian Martinez now that he is officially the starter and the rest of the corn Huskers on Saturday? Yeah, I was going to say it was kind of a tale of two Martinez. Uh, you had that yeah. 2018 game. He came out as a freshman and was really, I think they had a lead late in that game. He had one bad turnover. He threw it behind the line of scrimmage, uh, and Ohio State held on for a close win. Last year with the, the college game day, that really shouldn't have been. I don't know why Nebraska got it for that, but uh, long story short, it was a blowout a minute in. It was, uh, you know, at one point, yeah. Nebraska was running this uh, like a 1990s uh, Tom Osborne triple option stuff just to get a couple first downs. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, I think Ohio State rolls them, um, you know, but I do respect uh, Nebraska's team culture they've built. They really bonded over this issue this summer, uh, just from things I've been reading and, and, and press conferences. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for both sides. I think Ohio State will roll. Um, I, you know, I think my numbers have it at, at about Ohio State by 24. 
So we'll see. But uh, yeah, just uh, excited to see a first test from both these teams. We'll see. Hopefully you don't come out flat. That's one of these things yeah. in a quiet stadium. I don't I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's like like I mentioned at the very beginning. Like I wonder how not having all of the normal stuff we're used to in the offseason and then not having fans in the stadiums at all for Big Ten games, which is a little different than a lot of the other ones. Um, it'll be interesting. It's going to be it's a it's a weird world we're living in right now. But at least we've got some sort of college football back uh, in Big Ten country to look forward to. So, Brett, thank you as always. We will have all of the information for Pick 6 previews uh, in the show notes and in the article version of this podcast episode at LandGrantHoyland.com. Thanks again. Everybody follow him. One of the best follows on Twitter for college football fans. I've been a fan for years, and we're always grateful when you stop by to chat with us. Thanks, Matt. Anytime. Hopefully we're talking uh, some bowls and playoff later in the season. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. Thank you, of course, to Brett Ciancia. You can follow him on Twitter at Pick6Previews, one of the best Twitter follows for college football fans. And if you are interested in his helmet series, send him a DM there or reach out at Brett at Pick6Previews.com. If you are finding this podcast on the website LandGrantHolyLand.com, make sure that you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts in order to get all of the unparalleled podcast coverage this season. We will be bringing you a different podcast episode every day of the week, literally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, not everyone else does that, until the Ohio State football season ends, featuring voices and perspectives that you can't find anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.